0: Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... Remain calm! All is well!
1: Ah! All is well! Michael Preston.
0: Dog days of camp are here. First day of school is here, too! And I'm reminded uh, that, not to make uh, anybody feel old, but especially folks who are close to my age of about... Uh, about your early 30s there. Uh, This is the first class coming out of campus of Washington State. They started school on Monday. Today, if you're listening to this today, yesterday, if you're listening to it Tuesday, Wednesday, two days ago, and so forth. You can do math. Uh, (laughs) uh, This is the first class coming to WSU that has kids born in 2000. They were not born in a year starting with a 19. Yeah. Oh boy. You wanna feel old. And again, I, I am not old by any means, but you wanna feel old? That's a pretty good way to do it. These kids were being born when I was going into junior high. That is frightening. And I'm sure some of the other folks who are older than me are listening to this and going, please stop complaining. Welcome back to the Kook Center Hour. Volleyball coach Jen Greeny gonna come up in a little bit, talk about their season. That is just on the horizon at the end of this week. And in fact, they'll be home uh, the same weekend of the home opener against San Jose State. They have the Cougar Tournament, their annual Cougar Classic Tournament. They play three games over the span, or three matches, I should say, over the span of two days. Uh, so, And I believe the football season tickets come with a couple of free volleyball tickets. So if you're in town early uh, on Friday, I think they have a match at 7.30 on Friday night. And then again, something pretty early in the day on Saturday. If you're looking for something to do because the... Football game's not until 8 o'clock at night, so you got plenty of time uh, to go over there and check it out. We encourage you to do that because they were getting votes in the top 25 before the start of the season. That's quite an accomplishment uh, in the Pac-12 as well. Uh, but we mentioned, you know, it, we're kind of into those days of camp now where this is week, gosh, what is this? This is like week three or four almost of camp, it feels like. This is going to be complete week three, but they started on August 2nd. And so, or August 3rd, rather. So you just kind of get the feeling of... And I, I know when I was reporting on the team and closer to them is that, you know, all everybody involved, you just wanted to be hitting somebody other than your own teammate at this point. You wanted to be smacking someone else in the mouth because, you know, almost, you're practicing almost every day. The team did get Monday off for the first day of school. But you're practicing on pretty much a daily basis. It can get repetitious. The coaches have to think of different things to do every day to not make it repetitious because I don't care how old you are or aren't. Uh, that many days in a row of work and, you know, football's all about repetition and getting drills right and getting technique down. And it can get boring. Doesn't matter who you are, and it's okay to say that because I mean, you know, it's what you do for a living, crap can get boring sometimes. But these are def- you know, you you kinda gotta Try to drive through the rest of this week, I feel like, because you know next week you get game prep. Next week is an honest to God game prep week. And I, I guess I I don't really favor what some fans will say. Well, you got a month to plan for Wyoming. You don't you don't want to spend a month preparing for someone if you don't have to. Maybe if you're say the Huskies and you got Auburn coming up in your opener, by the way, nice ranking on the opener. Um <laughs> Washington's six and Auburn's nine. So anyway, you don't want to spend more than a week preparing for that team because you don't want to get too out of sync. You want things to be relatively normal, even though you do have all that time to get ready for them. You also have a Wyoming team who's actually playing a game this coming weekend. Uh, So they are going to have some tape available and you are not going to have tape available on you, that is anyway. So at least it kind of works out to your advantage in that way a little bit. But you still don't want to get too far out of your routine. So you are going to spend this week of camp going over things. And hopefully by this point, I believe Mike Leach said he wanted it down to two quarterbacks. Not that he's going to tip his hand either way and tell you who those two quarterbacks are. But we got a pretty damn fair idea of who the starter is probably going to be. Because of one thing in particular I need to click through here on the Washington State website for and that is Gardner Minshew being named for a preseason award. Named the United Golden Arm Award lot watch list. You're not gonna be a backup if you're named to an award watch list. That just typically is not ever going to happen. You are expected to start and probably from everything we've seen, including the last scrimmage stats, pretty much everything would lead me to believe that it's going to be Gardner Minshew. In their scrimmage last Saturday, he was 13 for 18, 123 yards. Didn't throw a touchdown or an interception. Anthony Gordon was 6 for 11, 86 yards with three touchdowns. Trey Tinsley was 6 for 10, 52 yards and three touchdowns. Basically, Gordon and Minshew roughly the same yards per attempt. Tinsley was only at five yards per attempt. You got the bulk of the touchdowns. Doesn't tell you too much. But Minshew had the largest volume of passes. And that's the second straight scrimmage in which... He has had the bulk of the, or you know, big part. He's had double-digit pass the one before that. Tinsley did have more. But again, at a lower attempt-to-yardage ratio. So, I, you know, we are now weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks into practice. And I would be genuinely surprised if Gardner Minshew is not the starting quarterback. And probably something like, I, you know, we said this last week. Probably something we could have assumed coming into camp. But I at least thought everybody was on relatively even footing. I thought Cam and Cooper being brought up was a bit of a surprise. But this at least, you know, this shouldn't be too big of a surprise that the guy with the most game experience, the guy who spent a few weeks this past summer studying with Hal Mummy to understand the air raid better, the guy who has air raid experience in college, is going to beat out the guys that don't have game experience. And that's fine. Tinsley and Gore, I you know, I I, I believe Tinsley was a walk-on. Gordon's a transfer. Cam and Cooper, again, he should be... He should be like all, everybody else who was on campus on Monday and just getting to school for the first time. It's probably best that Gardner Minshew is starting. The problem, I, I worry that we're going to get into a situation like you were in in 2012 where you had Jeff Toole and Connor Halliday, and we were going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between the two all the time. Now granted, back then you had Connor Halliday, who wasn't you know a known commodity... But he had that intoxicating arm from that ASU game the year before. But you had a known commodity in Jeff Toole. You had a relatively known commodity in Connor Halliday. And you were back in that Brink and Rogers situation from just a few years prior as well. And Lopina and Lobistol, as depressing as that was. But I don't think this situation is exactly the same. I am worried about jumping back and forth between quarterbacks. But I don't know enough about Trey Tinsley to want to call for him. I don't know enough about Anthony Gordon to want to call for him. I don't know enough about Cam and Cooper to want to call for him if Gardner Minshew is struggling. And that's probably just something you're going to have to put up with this year if you're Mike Leach and that coaching staff, and frankly, if you're a fan of the Washington State Cougars. If Gardner Minshew is struggling, that is probably going to have to be the case. You're going to have to try to fight through it. And you're going to have to try to get through those struggles. Because I don't know that Trey Tinsley or Anthony Gordon is that much better of an option. We don't know, and it could be dicey at times. The bigger worry now, for me even, than who the quarterback is going to be is defense, and more specifically, the defensive line. Jonathan Lolohea decides he wants no part of this football team, and that's, you know, more power to him. If he doesn't want to play, he doesn't want to play. That's fine. But the fact that, you know, I, I you don't ever want to bash a kid on the way out, and I, I don't ever want to do that, and I don't ever want to question anything, but you're leaving in all likelihood because you can't beat out Taylor Comfort. So really, how good could you have been? And again, I don't want to sound like Mr. We Didn't Want Him Anyway. It's always valuable to have depth on the defensive line, and he certainly will be missed If for no other reason than he can take some of the load off of other guys on the line. But that is worrying. It is extremely frightening that Namdi Aguayo is still MIA from camp. We'll go back to PJ's post that he published earlier today because he sums it up really well. Where you, I, we've gone from precariously thin to dangerously thin up front. I mean, I, to the point where it is frightening. Derek Moore also hasn't been there. You've got Taylor Comfort and Nick Begg who have eight career tackles between the two. And a whole lot of other guys that are so far down the list because they're brand new on campus. And you go from last year where you had Daniel Aquale, Frankie Luvu up front a lot of the time. You had Hercules Mata'afa. And you're going to go to this. You still needed last year to make sure the injury bug didn't bite you and you were thin up there if it did. But now, I mean, God, I don't even... Lamonte McDougal is clearly the best defensive lineman that we've seen in these practices, but he's not eligible this year. And I would say just violate the NCAA rules and let him play. I don't care. It's just, it's just who cares? Just put him out there. Let let the NCAA come calling. I mean, it it this is dangerous. How thin they are up front. Because I I know Peyton Palua back. I know the linebackers look excellent. I know the secondary looks pretty good. But a whole lot of good that's going to do you. If every team can just run all over you for about 400 yards of rushing. I, I am frightened if this is the team they take down to Stanford. If for whatever reason Nambi Aguayo is still missing. If Derek Moore is still missing. My God, what is Bryce Love going to do to this football team? Last year before that game, I think I said he's going to get his one big run. And as long as you can limit it to that, you're probably going to be in good shape. And they did just that. He got his one big 70-something yard touchdown run. And I think he had something like 35 yards on another 15 carries. That was exactly what you needed to do Needed to do against him. Dude's going to have like 35 yards per carry. A consistent team if they take this defensive line down there. And they are not improving. Jeff Phelps has a big chore ahead of him. Tracy Clays has probably an even bigger chore ahead of him. Because how do you coordinate a defense without a defensive line? How do you do it? I have no idea. I'm sure he does. At least has some idea. He's got a hell of a lot more football experience than me. That's not saying too much, but he does have. A hell of a lot more football experience than I do. But that is the biggest worry right now. To You know, right now. And probably for until late November, it will be the biggest worry for this football team. Is that defensive line. And if, if you've thought they couldn't afford an injury last year, I probably can't even more so this year. Even with as inexperienced as they're going to be up front. Comfort, beg. Kingston Fernandez is up there too. I mean, just guys you've not heard from in the years they have been on this team. That is scary. It's <laughs> very, very scary to think about walking into a Pac 12 schedule. And oh, by the way, your first Pac 12 game this year is at USC. Have fun with that. <laughs> like, have fun going to the guy. And on a short week, So going to the Coliseum on a short week, enjoy that with that defensive line. Linebacker is going to be good, I think. Very good, in fact. Secondary, not terribly worried about them. Maybe a little thin at cornerback, but I think they're going to be okay, especially with Jalen Thompson back there. But man, they are going to have a lot of work cut out for them up front, and they are going to have to get creative to stop some teams. I think Tracy because we talked about before this is a this is a reclamation project for Tracy Clays. This is a reputation rebuilder this job. I don't know how long he's going to stay in Pullman for, but I I think it it's probably better to accept that, you know, this is not going to be his last job in college football. So this is something he's doing to rebuild his reputation as a defensive coordinator, as a guy who needs to rebuild his resume to be a head coach again. And that's fine. I have no problem with Mike Leach taking on a defensive coordinator who needs to do that. If he leaves, that just means that he was really good at his job. And if Tracy Clays leaves in two or three years, then that's probably a good thing. If he gets fired, not a good thing. But if he leaves to take a bigger and better job, then the defense got better. And that's good. But the problem being, this defense carried this team last year. And that is not going to be the case this year. And the margin this football team had last year for underperforming at some spots and still being able to win football games, not that they played in a ton of close games, but there was still a little margin there. You could get away with this team not playing perfect football to have to win a game. And I'm worried we're now getting back to that spot this team was in in 2012, 2014, and 2013 to a lesser extent. That they have to play perfectly perfectly to win a game. Maybe not against San Jose State. Maybe not against Eastern. Maybe not against Wyoming. But through your conference schedule. You pretty much without exception. Are going to have to play perfectly to win a football game this year. There's talent in spots. But there are, there is a crucial lack of talent. In others. And that is a very worrying thing. Especially coming off two nine win seasons that there was not more of an influx of talent, or coming off of, you know, what is that, uh, 9, 8, and 9, so 26 wins in the last three years, that there wasn't a larger influx of talent to kind of keep the dike from breaking, so to speak. Jen Greeny, head volleyball coach, coming up next. We got, dang near, 20 good minutes with her talk about her team and... How successful they have been the last couple of years and what they're looking at going forward this season here on the Coop Center (laughs) app. Here on the Cougar Center Hour, we are now joined by the head coach of the Cougar volleyball team. They've been to the NCAA tournament two straight years now, uh, and I believe, Coach Jen Greeny. That's uh, that's uh, the like uh, the last time that happened was early two thousands when you were on the team, if I remember right. Correct?
1: Well, um, you're thinking I'm a lot younger than I am. Wow. I actually coached. Uh, thank you for that. Yes, uh, you're welcome. I coached with those early two thousand teams okay. um, as an assistant, and then was on the. Um, 96, 97, uh, 98 teams um, that were also pretty darn good. Yes. But you're right.
0: Yes. You're right as See, far as it had been even, a while. Even when I make mistakes, they're compliments. And that's the nice <laughs> thing when you come on the show with me is that even when I make mistakes, it's good. Uh, so like I said, I yeah, back-to-back tourney uh, appearances and with wins as well, knocked out in the second round. But how does it feel to kind of, from where you guys started so many years ago when you got hired to be in that position where you're going to the postseason consistently and you are, are, you are getting wins in the postseason? I mean, you're running into these really incredible teams. Like last year, I believe it was Wisconsin or the year before that, but you're just running into these really good teams in the second round, uh, like Nebraska as well, if I remember correctly, that, you know, they're very good, but you, you've got to feel good about getting advancing in the postseason now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we took over in 2011, we were taken over an 0-18 um, in the Pac-10, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at the time, um, you know, and it was, the culture just wasn't, uh, of course, where we wanted it to be, and it, it's been a lot of uh, hard work, um, but yeah, definitely really proud of where we've come um, to go to, like you said, back-to-back NCAA yeah. um, tournaments and get those first-round wins, mm-hmm. and you're right. You know, to run into a couple buzz saws of Wisconsin and Nebraska, that's yeah. not real fun. Um, so hopefully we can uh, not only get back to the tournament this year, but, you know, give ourselves a little bit better chance just you know placement wise Mm -hmm. that we can um, not have to face those really tough teams so early
0: we'll get into kind of how tough not you know the Big Ten is obviously arguably one of the two best volleyball conferences in the country along with the Pac-12 we'll get into that in a second but how much does that experience going to the postseason two years in a row really help you guys out maybe as a coaching staff and as a team because I have to imagine you know, you know, you try not to change the mindset too much of this is just another, this is just another match, but at the same time, it's not because this is, you know, this is the postseason and you lose your out, it's over with, the season's over. How does that experience help you guys in the regular season?
1: Yeah, I think it's huge Um, to not only have that experience in the postseason, um, you know, I think in 2016, we were a little bit, oh, thank God, finally, you know, (laughs) we got there, Um, you know, and so last year was, you know, better. A lot of the team had been to the tournament before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that experience really helped a lot. But I think just in preparation uh, with the offseason during the summer, even preseason camp, you know, we only graduated two seniors. So to have most of those returners coming back with that experience mm-hmm. and postseason really on their mind. I think is a great motivating
0: factor. You got a lot of that experience coming back, like you said, a lot of seniors. This is kind of an upperclassmen-laden team, which is uh-huh. a good thing in the Pac-12 because like we just talked about how hard the Big Ten is. The Pac-12 is very hard. You guys are getting votes in the preseason AVCA poll, and you're still picked to finish seventh in the Pac-12 because the six teams above you are all ranked in the top 25. And I think there's been points in the last few years where up to 10 of the 12 teams in the conference have, have been ranked. This is just a... Week in, week out, that kind of gets you ready for the postseason, right? Because you're facing these teams that are also going to be in the postseason and are also very good.
1: You're absolutely right. Yeah, there is no, um, not even an easy weekend. There is no easy even match um, in the Pac-12. And uh, you're right, you know, uh, it's been either 9 or 10 years, or 9 or 10 teams getting into the tournament, um, you know, probably for the last five, six years, um, it definitely prepares you for the postseason because every single match you're playing that kind of competition that you would, you know, face in the postseason. So um, that's what we always say. Hey, you know, teams have Pac-12 teams that haven't won the Pac-12 have won the national championship. You know, even if they're finishing third, uh, you can still go win a national championship just because of um, the competition you're facing
0: every Mm -hmm. single night. Does that make, how does that help like on the recruiting trail? Because I know that, you know, obviously a lot of these teams, especially the teams in California, get, you know, they really have all that talent on the West Coast is really concentrated in California a lot. How does that help you on the recruiting trail? Can you guys kind of pitch that, you know, you're playing in the Pac 12 against these really good teams, so you have a chance to show off against maybe a team that might have slighted you in recruiting or maybe didn't look your way? Is it kind of something you guys can use to your advantage recruiting to Pullman?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, being in the Pac-12, you know, if you're a competitor, you want to play against the the best day in and day Mm -hmm. out. So um, I think, you know, that's one thing that we talk about. Um, But you're exactly right. You hit on another point. You know, it's mostly once you get here. And I think all of us kooks have a little chip on our shoulder anyways. Um, Mm -hmm. But you're right. You know, if if we're not getting votes in the top 25, if we're picked seventh, You know, not a lot of our players were recruited by other Pac-12 schools. Mm -hmm. Um, So you do kind of get that chip on your shoulder of, oh, okay, you know, we can compete with you guys and we can train harder and we can do all kinds of things to compete with, you know, these blue chip athletes that maybe we're not going to get, but we're going to do some other things better.
0: Well, kind of speaking of a blue chipper, you have a big one on the team this year. You have Taylor Mims back. The superlatives are Numerous, besides her Global Challenge MVP. That means she was the best player on the collegiate national team. Uh, she's preseason All-Pac-12. She led the team in kills per set last year. She's just an offensive juggernaut. I've pretty much described all the great things about her, what she brings to the team. What haven't I said that she brings to this team that is so important?
1: Oh, man. I mean, Taylor has come incredibly far in the four years you know she came uh, from billings montana had never been on an airplane before her official visit what um, yeah i mean her story is amazing if uh, anybody ever gets a chance to sit down and talk to taylor about um just the journey that she's been on it's amazing um just how far she has come you know she mm. was also uh played middle her first two years we moved her to the outside last year, which is a really tough transition. She obviously handled it quite well because she was a uh, first team all back 12. Yeah. I think she did um, okay there.
0: Yeah. She, yeah. Yeah. She mm-hmm. was okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She was okay. Um, and then goes this summer and is yeah the MVP of the collegiate national team. So, um, she really has so many intangibles. She wants to get better, um, day in and day out. She's one of our team captains as well. Um, but just, um, a, just a joy to have on the team and um, I, c- I really can't say enough good things about her.
0: I think we're going to kind of come keep coming back to the same theme in this interview is the experience you talked about earlier you have coming back because you have McKenna Woodford coming back as well up front. She was your second leading attacker last year. Does that, I mean, you have now options at the net and how, what does that do for you guys on offense? I mean, besides other teams not really knowing where you're going to go or you have the option to kind of go either direction to your outside hitters does that what kind of advantages does that give you on offense
1: yeah I, I think um, it's a huge advantage and and we really have been you know in practice kind of moving some people around and mm-hmm. you know trying to have as much of a balanced attack as we can have because you know we don't want to have to just rely on our two outside hitters which a lot of times you do have to if if your passing's not you know, great that night. Um, But you're right. I mean, to have McKenna back as well um, and a lot of our um, key hitters from last year, I I think um, there's going to be a lot of great weapons. And if somebody's not having a a great night, I think we can look to somebody else to Mm -hmm.
0: step up. Because that's that's the big benefit, right, too, is that when you have all that experience back, is that you you can kind of allow yourself, somebody to not have a great night and still stay in a match. And that's especially important in the Pac-12 where you guys have had some protracted battles with these teams and you really coming down to the end, you need to kind of finish off a team, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah. That's what we talked about in practice today. Mm -hmm. Um, That, you know, we have to be able to get to the end of a set and somebody step up and and make it happen. And that could be, you know, any player on any given night, you know, we're not just going to look to Taylor. Um, She's going to have a lot of pressure on her and and teams are definitely going to be keying on Mm -hmm. her. Um, so that's why we really need to um, get some other people to step
0: up as well. You get your libero Alexis Dorigi back as well. I know we've talked about this before, how the libero is kind of the quarterback of the offense. But I know for a lot of folks, you know, the libero wears the different colored uniforms. So what does a libero do besides digs, which is very very important, <laughs> keeping the ball in play? What what makes a libero so special, and what kind of player make you know makes a good libero?
1: Yeah. So. What's crazy about the libero is they are on the court pretty much the entire time,
0: all but one
1: rotation. Um, So they have to serve, they have to take control um, of passing, they have to lead the defense. Um, A lot of communication goes into that, um, you know role as well um so I think for her to have that experience internationally she also went to Pula Croatia on the collegiate national team Mm -hmm. and got to play with some different players and play internationally so I think um that experience also helped her a ton um but yeah you know she's coming back she um had a great year last year she's still only going to be a junior so I'm just looking for great things and even more uh, from
0: Alexis this year and again, I, I, we keep coming back to this because this is kind of the big thing for this team this year is the experience. You get your middle blockers, Urias and Lajos back as well. How Those, those are kind of, when you go up to block a kill or an attempt at the net and that can fall down on the other team's side, th- are those kind of what you would consider like free points because you need someone to get those big arms up and how important is it for you guys to have someone who can kind of go get you those unexpected points?
1: Yeah, I mean, our blocking, you know, you can kind of uh, talk about blocking as your first line of defense. And, uh, you know, the last uh, few years, we have been pretty stellar at that skill. Um, You know, third in the nation last year in blocks per set. Um, Over the last, I think, four years, we're leading the nation in total blocks, actually. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, to have those uh metal blockers that are mobile that read well um you know if we can just block the ball then i think that's great you no. know <laughs> we don't even have
0: to yeah if taylor if better, taylor and if McKenna don't have to do it. yeah if they don't have to do any work that's a good night they can just sit down right. maybe have some gatorade it's just you know yeah, hey oh totally. i came and uh, i didn't have to do anything that's great yeah yeah no,
1: those are good nights yeah
0: um, uh but
1: really for them too and they're both coming um you know getting a lot better offensively and so like I talked about that balanced attack if we mm-hmm. can um you know not only get them to block well but we can get them the ball offensively um that'll make for a successful night as well
0: so we've, we've kind of mentioned all these and we've been talking about a lot of But is there anyone on your roster that fans should keep an eye on because we're gonna you know obviously a lot of matches broadcast on the pac-12 networks this year which is a very good thing so who should we also be keeping an eye on that maybe I haven't mentioned or we haven't talked about
1: Um, Yeah, I think um, Ashley Brown, um, Mm -hmm. you know, our setter coming back. She had transferred from Oklahoma last year. Um, You know, we we ran kind of a 6-2 offense until um, we had three starters actually go down with injuries at the end of the season Mm -hmm. and had to switch to a 5-1. You know, and and Ashley also did some training with collegiate national team in Detroit this summer. Um, So, you know, she's really progressing as well as a setter. Um, you know doing some great things running that offense trying to really connect with her headers and she is um, maybe one of the biggest competitors that I have ever coached she does not like to lose so that in itself um, is just a great attribute that she has
0: this is your eighth season in bowler gym if I'm correct is this the best team you've had since you were hired at Washington State Do you think
1: yeah, I think so. Um, you know, that team in 2016 that had Kyra Holtz and, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, that they were all seniors that year. That's uh, That was the best season we had had in 14 years um, with that team. But as far as kind of the experience um, coming back uh, and just the, um, the amount of players that can move and play in different positions and, you know, do all kinds of great things, you know, not only offensively but defensively as well mm-hmm. but yeah I'm gonna say probably from top to bottom this would be the best team that we've had
0: and we said I just mentioned you know this is your eighth season uh in Pullman obviously this is also your alma mater and is is there something that you know Jen Greeny now wishes she could tell Jen Greeny eight years ago about you know kind of the hardships that we're all going to go through because I know the the academic scores for the team have improved. I mean, not just on the court, off the court, they're doing much better. Is there something that you wish you could tell your past self now about these 8 years that, you know, would maybe give you better perspective or is just anything you wish you could say to yourself 8 years ago?
1: Um, you know, I I think when it, we took over, we knew it was going to be kind of a a major uphill battle um Mm -hmm. you know and there were definitely definitely times that I was like what am I doing um but you know (laughs) to to stick through that and I think because it is my alma mater that Mm -hmm. you know uh that's what makes it so much better and so much sweeter so I'm not so sure that I would go back and say anything just besides like it will get better
0: (laughs) because it really (laughs) couldn't
1: have got any worse um but yeah just um yeah, love this team. Love uh, the progress that we've made. And and you're right. When we took over in 2011, the team had a 1.96 GPA. I don't know how that happens, um, wow. but it happened. And we've only now had two semesters the whole time that we've been here that we've been barely under a 3.0. Yeah. So um, yeah, big big strides um, in the classroom. Casey Shane Line was the Pac-12 Scholar Athlete of the Year for volleyball last mm-hmm. year. Um, so I think you know just those. Those people that really bought in, maybe didn't get the chance um, to go to the NCAA tournament, but really built the foundation. They're pretty important in this process as well.
0: Now you said we when we took over, and that's because <laughs> your husband is your associate head coach. What's it like coaching with Dead? But I know you guys have been doing this for a very long time, so it, you know you you've got to now kind of have a feel for each other in terms of you know, your coaching styles and how, you know, you comport yourselves on court with the players, but what is it like coaching with your husband? Because you know, it hasn't just been at WSU that you've done this, right?
1: Right, yeah, 12 blissful years coaching together. Oh, look that. at that, look at
0: that, so nice, she's, she's being so nice, <laughs> she knows she's being recorded, she's being so nice. Uh,
1: it's actually great, I mean, I mm-hmm. grew up in a, um, my dad was a coach, and um, it just seemed like you know, everything was always about what was going on with the team, and whether he was coaching my team or uh, my brother's teams or, or whatever that is. So I'm just kind of used to that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, it's it's definitely not always easy. Um, but you sure get a lot more communication done cause you're pretty much, um, communicating with each other a lot. I, our kids are very used to it. Um, you know, they even get into recruiting conversations and scouting conversations and all that kind of stuff. Um, and if we get tired of each other, then one of us just goes recruiting. So it, oh, that's, no,
0: that's, that's excellent. No, see, that works out very well that you can just give this like, <laughs> why don't you just go out on the recruiting trail? I'm a little sick of you. So why don't you just go out and find me? So that's good. I like that either one of you can do that. Uh, we'll yeah. leave, we'll leave Coach Jen Greeny with this um, consecutive postseason appearances, as we mentioned, first time it's happened uh, for you know since the beginning part of this century. Really, is that the new expectation for this team that that you know it's it's not just that we're improving every year, that's fine, but is the new expectation that we better be playing games after the end of the regular season?
1: I think for this year. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just like you said, to have so many people coming back, you know, we will graduate, you know, six players next year. So we'll have to reevaluate that kind of goal next year. But Mm -hmm. yeah, there's, um, there is a new expectation. And um, I I think just everybody on the team, you know, thinks that way. And um, that's what we, we are preparing for.
0: They start the season on the road against VCU North Carolina State this coming weekend, and then Labor Day weekend, they spend it in Cedar Falls before their home. Same weekend as the football opener against San Jose State, McNeese State Friday afternoon, Illinois State Friday night, and Stony Brook a full eight hours before you need to go to Martin Stadium. So I encourage everybody to check it out. Coach Jen Greenie, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
1: Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>
0: Again, to Coach Jen Greeny for joining us here on the show. We always like having her on uh, before the season to check in, see how her team is going to do. And again, if you guys want to check them out again before the San Jose State game, they do have a home uh, game, and I would encourage you so you have so much time that day for literally whatever because of how late the football game is. So there's no no reason you shouldn't be going over there in the early afternoon to check them out uh, in that Cougar Classic tournament. Uh, I wanted to talk about something else. I did, This kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Uh, this last week, late last week, was all the other crap going on with college football. Um, and it, it's not just college football related, but it certainly could be at this particular university. But the University of Alabama wants to spend $600 million to upgrade their athletic facilities. You're talking about like completely redoing their basketball arena doing a whole bunch of new stuff to Bryant Denny Stadium and upgrading other facilities as well. But b- basically without, you know, the details on what specifically they want done, $600 million worth of donation or, you know, money to redo and upgrade facilities across the campus at the University of Alabama again, which premier football playing school in the NCAA, and they probably want to get there for basketball as well. I know Avery Johnson will be thrilled with that. Not that if he wants to jump up and give you a high five, he's going to be able to do it. Um, That was just an unnecessarily cheap shot at someone who's never going to listen to this. Uh, And I'm having so much trouble wrapping my head around this. And it's funny because I know Washington State spent... What, $140 million on the CFP and the Football Operations Building. They'll be spending a few million on baseball upgrades. And at some point, eventually down the line, you're going to talk about an indoor facility for the football team that could also be used by other sports. And also, probably an almost complete redo of Beasley Coliseum. That thing could use it, probably reduce the seating capacity by a fair amount. But... Yeah, you're, you're talking about a lot of money sinking into this. But it just brings me all back around to the point of $600 million. $600 million a school wants to spend on facility upgrades. They're going to get a lot of it from private donations. Grant it, grant you, they will do that. And at the University of Alabama, they can certainly do that. It's not just 105,000 people to pack in there seven Saturdays of fall that are giving the university money. It certainly is not the case. They have cultivated quite a fan base and a lot of donors and a lot of people willing to give them money but i just every time i see something like that every time i see something like this well we can't pay the kids and and, and we do pay them we give them an education so yeah so there. And in the case of most of the student-athletes, we don't completely give it to them. They still have to pay their way for a lot of it. It's not like the football players who most of them get a full-ride scholarship. And the same thing goes for the men's basketball players and some of the women's basketball players. But most of the rest of them are on partial scholarships. So they are, in fact, having to take out student loans. They're going to have to learn how to repay, but they haven't really learned how to apply their degree because they're spending so much time at practice and with their coaches to perfect their skill set on the – on their particular field of play, whether it be a baseball diamond, a softball diamond, a soccer field, a basketball court, a swimming pool, a lacrosse field, whatever, uh, a track and field, uh, that they don't really spend a lot of time in the classroom and really learn how to use that degree in the real world so then they're stuck repaying loans uh, that we gave to them because we didn't give them a full scholarship. I get that this is all more complex and this problem is more complex than I'm making it out to be. And there is no easy solution to this problem because I also know that if you just out-and-out pay these student-athletes in whatever sport they're in, what you get are glorified minor leagues. And there's issues with the professional sports leagues in this country that don't want that. And I also can say probably for a fact that I would not be as interested in college athletics if it were just... A glorified minor leagues. And I know that is hypocritical, but I bring it up because I just know that about myself. Even though I know that what is more fair and more equitable for these kids is for them to see some sort of compensation for this, especially the football teams at these schools. There's a reason why Alabama can say that we're going to invest $600 million in facilities upgrades, and it's not because their football team hasn't won a crapload of national championships in the last decade. Nick Saban gets paid an unholy amount of money to coach that team. And yes, some of those players do go on to play professionally or to get jobs as coaches. But a lot of them never will. And so the money they generate for the university is what? I mean, yeah, maybe it's repaid with their scholarship, but they almost certainly are making more for that school than what they are being paid back. And I guess we could say it's the same as any other job. Where, you know, know, most people certainly... Their contribution to their company is more than what their company gives them in salary and benefits. But that's the other thing, is the company gives you salary and benefits. You get, every two weeks, right here in my hand, cold hard cash. Well, a check that I can cash, but... And you get health benefits, and retirement benefits, and other fringe benefits universities give you scholarships for your education and while I'm not saying that to discredit that it is not valuable I think an, edu- an education has a ton of value it is not a a thing you can hold an education does not guarantee you money in the future does it make it more likely that you'll be making money probably does it make it more likely that you'll be successful in the future? Yes, if you learn how to apply your degree, but I know a lot of athletes get pushed into degrees they don't necessarily want to do because they're easy, so that way they can focus on their sport. So how valuable is that really to them when okay, yeah, fine, it's free, but what good does it do them? The issue is, is I, I just every time I see this. And every time a school or the NCAA tries to make an argument that what they are getting is fair, what they are getting is equitable, it rings hollow. When the NCAA is playing the Final Four in a stadium that has 100,000 people packed into it, and the 25 kids on the floor and on the bench for those two teams are not given a penny of the money that the NCAA makes from Turner, from CBS, and from ticket sales and merchandise sales and branding and whatever else. They don't make a penny. And every single time, you know, you're in one of the postseason tournaments for whatever NCAA competition is going on, that commercial with Jerry, of all people, Jerry Rice saying 97% of our student-athletes will go pro in something other than sports. Of all the people you could get to do that, of all the people you could get to do that, Jerry Rice A man who made a ton of money playing football. A man who was arguably the greatest wide receiver in NFL history. You're going to get him to do it. Myron Myron Roll, who was a Rhodes Scholar for Florida State, probably would have been a better choice because now he's he's doing he's like just last year. What I had to look this up. He's beginning his residency in neurosurgery at. Harvard. You want to get someone to do that commercial for you? Go get Myron Roll to do it. Again, residency in neurosurgery at Harvard after he was a Rhodes Scholar. Not Jerry Rice, who went on to play in the NFL for the better part of two decades and made a crap load of money doing it. $600 million in athletic facilities. We spend $8 million a year on our football coach. No. No. Kids are fine with ramen in their school paid for. Ask Michael anything. Dunderhead of the week coming up next. We'll wrap things up here on the Goosey <laughs> Round. ahead of the week time, and this uh, this one hurts a little bit. I My, my second favorite college football team is because my entire family went to this school, and two of my cousins currently do is the University of Michigan uh, Wolverines, and I, I was excited that they hired Jim Harbaugh away from the 49ers, mostly because my favorite professional team is the Seahawks, and I figured that would help them out as well, and it did at least a little bit. Um, but the longer it goes on, you know, the further and further away we get from that hiring, uh, and Jim Harbaugh just... Continues to basically look like an insane person. Michigan's not winning a ton. You know, more than they were before by a little bit. But certainly not to the level of of expectation for Michigan fans. The dude drinks whole milk with steak. Which is just frightening. (laughs) I just... It, it's insane. Uh, but Marty Smith of ESPN was in Ann Arbor to do a, or tape a segment with uh, Harbaugh today. Uh, for their first college football game day of the season. The man has a whiteboard of sayings. Of Harbaugh-isms in his office. Like... Ain't hard being a football player if you're a, quote fingers, football player. Transform fear into anger. Solve your problems with aggression. Do something. <laughs> I just... This is like... I... I like, it... It, it, the whiteboard looks like someone trying to connect the dots of a conspiracy theory. He's got arrows drawn to sh- certain ones it it this it's just it's I, I lead like Truman tap dance like Fred Astaire. The smartest person in the room is the one who realizes he or she is not the smartest person in the room. Fat is the enemy of speed. Then why do you drink full-fat milk when you have a steak, Jim? Why? Why do you do that? Erase the whiteboard, Jim. Use it what most normal people use it for: drawing explicit pictures for people to giggle at when they walk into your office. Ask Michael anything, time. like Truman tap dance like Fred Astaire what a load of crap oh there fault at Jeff O'Neill Jeff O'Neill if you don't get CBS Sportsnet what's the best alternative to watch the first game from the comfort of your own home I use one of those like illegal Ukraine based websites that streams crap illegally I did that for the New Mexico Bowl at work and I'm pretty sure I ruined the wireless internet at my work so my apologies Salem Communications in Seattle if your internet still doesn't work uh my bad. But that feed from that e- my, that ESPN feed from Buffalo, New York that you had for me was really valuable. B Denny29, Brad Denny. How much are you guys going to miss playing Herm and the Sun Devils this year? Brad, of course, our good friend on the Speak of the Devils podcast. A lot because no more secret bunker. No more Todd Graham secret bunker. That is what I'm most sad about. But also, Herm is just he's nuts. At Possum J16, Jason Krieger. What time should you set up your tailgate for an 8 p.m. game? Is the night before appropriate? Is that good? night before? I would do that. Start grilling meat at 5pm Friday. At Mr. Tommy G-Man, Tom g What's more confusing, the balk ru- rule or a Mike Leach presser? Balk. Balk. Mike Leach is At Coog's Zoo Coog. Most underrated restaurant in Pullman. Oh man. Oh, I think Salas is overrated. Cougar Country, also overrated, although still good. Basilio's still open? That place, I'm, I'm going a lot on overrated right now, which is not what anybody asked for. Most underrated. Man! I don't know, man. Personal preference here would be Rancho Viejo. They just, when I was hungover, that grease was so wonderful. It was Perfect. At R M, our own Murphy. you can pick any movie character to slot them at Nose Tackle for the Cougs to try and save our 2018 season. Who are you going with and why? He says, I'm going to pick between Sharknado, Thanos, Bane, or The Great Ambino. Just The Rock. And I'm I, not even as a character, I just mean as Dwayne Johnson. That's probably who I would go with. Although, if I'm going to stick... Uh, if I'm going to stick, like, with, you know, like, going with movie characters, Darth Vader, he can choke hold anyone and just move them back with the force. Obviously. I I just, yeah. At McFlow and Michael Floresca, uh, apparently WSU got some top 25 votes. Was this a mistake? Yes, they didn't get any. Uh, as a fellow WHS alum, how high does former Falcon Andre Dillard get drafted next April for the NFL draft? That from Ben Wyman. Uh, not a great draft record for a lot of WSU linemen recently, so I don't know... Hopefully high, third or fourth round. Right now, probably would be a good shot. That would probably be where I would start for now. At WSU Brady, twenty-seven. Brady, do uniforms affect the results on the field? The last three years, it sure does seem we play better in the anthracite. Which also leads to why can't we buy any other colored jerseys? Still, I've gotten that question a lot. I have no idea why you can't buy the other ones. And I not assume the players just like playing in other, you know, the jerseys more. I hate the ketchup bottle look, although they haven't like lost badly in it in a while, so but I would assume they just like playing in it at WSU Cougar 08 Rick have you reached the point where you feel like an old alumni instead of a recently graduated student when you go back to Pullman I did the year after I graduated I walked into a bar and I went I looked at every child person in there and I went does your mother know where you are it is late and now oh god I should walk in with a cane and hair in my ears At Wyoming Game Week next week, we'll see you guys for the first football week show of the year.